Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hey, Ping. Welcome to Brave. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's a very nice good afternoon, actually. <laughs> it's a beautiful afternoon and we're here recording a podcast. <laughs> anyway, so Ping, I'm really excited to share about your journey because you're someone who you know grew up in Southeast Asia, have been entrepreneurial uh, multiple times, and then you also rose to become a VC at Quest Ventures. And so I'm so excited to not only share your story, but also hear your advice uh, for the world out there. Sounds good. I, I have lots to share. I hope the audience also kind of enjoy this, this uh, part of my journey. Close to 40 years of my life now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Yiping, could you share a little bit about who you are? Yeah, well, this, this question, who, who I am. <laughs> so I guess essentially who I am, I, I always thought of myself as, uh, you know, like a warrior um, who probably comes from, you know, Singapore's maybe low middle, slightly lower the middle type of family background. Uh, my grandparents came here to Singapore, of course, from China. Um, and they set up a farm in Lim Chu Kang. Uh, so I was, I was, you know, I lived in the farm for several ye- first years of my life. Grew up, played with chickens, feed them, pigs and grew vegetables. I, I think a lot about myself as someone who came from a very humble background and then went into, I guess what, Singapore went through a very nice, strong, mass, meritocratic, you know, leather part of society. And I am a huge product of that. Enjoyed a, a, a good ride. Worked very hard in school. Um, you know, fought all the way to, I guess, through different schools. Never really, like, popular schools until I went to NUS. Uh, entrepreneurship program. And one day... My friend said, oh, you'll be going to UPenn. It's an Ivy League school. And I'm like, what's Ivy League? <laughs> and and, and that, those were the days that, you know, Google just kind of started. They were the upstart. And I was using Google trying to figure out what's Ivy League. And then I realized, oh, wow, okay, it's supposed to be some elite school. I, I never really know, you know, that elite part of society until probably in the recent years. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I fought through being in multiple jobs all the way since when I was eight years old. And so multiple odd jobs um, from bicycle factory to at the, those times, right, where there was still pretty low end uh, factory work in Singapore. Um, I was employed, I guess, as a child laborer, which I was happy at that time because it gave me so much experience and, and all the way to really doing jobs at Singtel, sales, so several years of my junior college years. And then when I graduated, I, I from the entrepreneurship program, I started a few companies. Um, and then now 
I'm a VC in Quest with Quest Ventures. Um, and, and very much through Quest Ventures, I think I kind of was able to put all my entrepreneurship experiences into work with uh, portfolio companies. Quest Ventures as a fund is, is very interesting. The fund one that I was part-time in, I was venture partner there. We invested in some of the largest household names, uh, Carousel, Caro, 99.co, Style Theory, Shopback, Asagag. Um, and then to most recently, I'm a partner of Fund2. And some of the notable investments we have done, uh, early wage company, Gajigesa, uh, Yummy Corp, Cloud Kitchen, one of the leading ones in Indonesia, and Moves International Relocation, uh, Reward Nation for remote working employee rewards. And, and I think uh, I've come, I guess, across a broad spectrum of society, working with many different folks. And, and basically, I guess I'm, I'm being defined by my ability to be resilient each step of the way through, you know, several failures in startups to finally making a few successful ones and then joining the VC journey. Yeah. So tell us more about those startups that you built, you know, both the failures and the successes. How did you even get started? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's a very kind of pivotal part of my life. I've talked about me being part of a NUS entrepreneurship program. Um, and, and that kind of sent me to a one-year program where I was interning in, you know, tech companies. Uh, that was 2003. And I went with a huge goal to come back to Singapore to start something. Um, I was very focused. I, I want to just start anything to just get on a tech journey. So the first company I set up was with my tech co-founder at that time. It's called World Indigo. We were super early. We were building the roaming gateway for planes and ferries. So that's what SIA right, and the multiple airlines have today that you can roam right now. But at that time, it was pretty rare. And the scene was way too early. It was pre-iPhone days. Um, we were doing actually quite well in terms of signing up partners. I'm not sure if you remember at that time, we still have Value Air. Uh, which is now Jetstar. Um, so, so we have quite a number of pipeline uh, contracts. Folks were very, airline folks were very keen to sign up this service. We were using satellite as a backbone. But the scene is just way too early. Mobile phones still have a ban to be used on, on planes. And so after one and a half years of, you know, doing that, when I was still in year four in university, I just decided that I have to be realistic. I'm going to graduate soon. And while there's so much like positivity going, I can't go against a FAA non-usage of mobile phones on the plane. So I decided that, hey, I should go get a job. Um, and still with that job, somehow have the flexibility to continue running World Indigo as a side hustle and figure out if it's going to work out or not. So that was the first one. That was at a time where we won, I think, the sixth Singapore Startup Business Plan Competition organized by NUS. Uh, we were the champion then. 
um, there were probably like less than 10 VCs, but of which I approached all 10 or even 20 of them and they indicated early stage, but it's def definitely not early stage at all. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so I learned, I guess, the hard way that it, it was pre kind of startup ecosystem. Um, I was pretty much alone, less talking about being a female founder, but, but I was pretty much alone doing this tech thing, raising funds at a time where there was almost no funds. Um, but we were super thankful to have witnessed and participated in some of the very early governmental program. So at that time, Maritime Port Authority, MPA, they have like a few hundred K type uh, developmental grant and they awarded to us. Um, but I figured that the company shouldn't kind of take the money because there was the ban, right? And ferries, uh, shipping industry was a much smaller market size for us back then. Yeah. So I was thankful for that. Um, and, and that was the first startup that taught me so many hard lessons about running hardware businesses, combining with software. So, so that's the first one. Yeah. And, and then I went on to do like two to three more. <laughs> <laughs> so you know why did you want to keep going so you know you learned a painful lesson in the first one but you still kept going so what happened there it's just too excited or you know <laughs> what happened there yeah, yeah i think that's a very good question um I, I think i'm someone who just don't easily give up um there is something about what i have in my belly there is that fire and there is, uh, you know, there is a specific DNA. So when I was super young, when I was like eight years old, my, my parents have a very small roasted meat food store. They, they sell uh, tashu, you know, roasted meats, chicken, ducks. Um, and they took me and my younger brother, both of us, very young to their kind of like um, industrial sites to try to cook these chickens, ducks, etc. And then we were working very hard wrapping chili sauce and, you know, um, roasting too. Um, and, and I saw their business in the first few years. It did so well. Um, I mean, it's a small business, but it did really well that because my mom is uh, adopted and she always felt that everything she would give, she would give to the kids, right? And so when we were doing really well, she fed us crazy like bird's nest every other day. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I saw that kind of like really business doing really well to the point where a few years later, there's a lot of competition, right? Other food stores selling the same things and it's beginning to look hard to compete. And so I saw the business become from very successful to one that is facing so much threats. And I was being sent as a spy to, <laughs> to go check out some of this store, right? How are they doing? What are they doing differently? And I realized that as I grew up, I am not so concerned about failing. I, I realized that failure is not so scary. Um, it is momentary. I saw how my parents, um, they, they went on from you know, maybe having some early business failure, health is not so great because F&B is so tough. 
Um, but they, they survived and they went on to do other things. And it is their resilience that I reflected upon all throughout my years of life. And so when I first met my maybe first startup lack of success, I just feel that, you know, one startup shouldn't define me. Um, and I'm learning, right? I have prior to that, I have no idea what's a tech company. Prior to that, all I know is roasted meat food store, um, buy, sell things in school, selling them lemonade. <laughs> so, so I thought that from where I came from, it was a huge leap. And all I should do and could do is to do better in the next one. Um, and not, not to just raise a white flag and say bye so quickly. Yeah, so, so there is mm. that kind of resilience streak in me that uh, that's why I call myself a warrior sometimes. That, yeah, I mean, someone called me a cockroach, <laughs> which doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> but, but that's pretty much how probably I would describe myself if I had to. Um, yeah, I, I just refuse to give up. What's interesting, of course, as a warrior is that, you know, you started out as a first-time founder, so you're a very new warrior, and then you went through multiple battles, right, uh, as the yep. different places. How would you say that you grew and matured as a warrior over time? Yeah, well, that's a good question because I always think that as humans who's kind of rapidly learning and trying to reflect and not repeat the same mistakes... Um, I feel like I have definitely matured a lot over years. Um, in my younger years, I'm definitely someone that is a lot more ignorant as with most first-time founders. Um, the world is really truly my oyster. I have very little reverence of, you know, <laughs> of, of status quo or whatever that is. And, and that, that's good, right? It makes me really hungry and, and I just go for things without overthinking. Um, I think those are very good traits that have assisted me to be as bold, as, as courageous as I had. Uh, over time, I think after a few lessons from other businesses and just learning from folks that I think are better than myself in so many different ways. I, I began to perhaps kind of be more mature in thinking through certain business decisions, work with others also better, and not just work with others better, but really enjoying um, being more publicly and privately vulnerable to, to just learn from anyone that I think that is something to learn from. Um, and like maybe also in a way saying things with a little bit more measuredness, not just throwing things out there and just try to look confident, right? <laughs> As you first started out kind of thing. Um, so, so I think over time there is that level of maturity, uh, more professionalism in looking at things, uh, being more analytical, but I think besides that, I think the most important point is still not losing that fire in the belly. I think the moment you get one success, um, I had a small one right through Audios Asia, my third company. Um, I realized that 
I still currently have that fire in the belly. Um, although I'm a VC today, uh, 10 years down the road, I could come back with another company, right? Uh, so so I, I feel like I haven't lost that yet. And working with entrepreneurs still just keep feeding that fire. <laughs> you know, I'm another founder who's also now a VC, right? So I definitely yeah. understand about the fire. So I got to ask you, since you got a few more years on me, uh, does being a VC scratch the founder itch enough? Uh, wow, you scratch it differently. <laughs> well, the nice thing, and I, I just have to say that VC doesn't scratch it as if it's a wound. I, I, I definitely think as a fellow founder, Jeremy, I, 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 I'm sure that you would agree with me that being entrepreneur is the real thing. It's that kind of pain and, and that kind of lonely, loneliness in the journey, even if you have co-founders, uh, even you have the best buddies, right, all in startups, it's not the same. You're still pretty much um, trying to survive and the moment after you survive, you, you're still always constantly thinking of don't die, <laughs> how to expand. Uh, I can raise more money now, especially in this day and age. So how do I be more ambitious? And, and there's a lot of sentiments that are a lot more raw. And then as VCs, how we scratch that is to provide, you know, different perspectives um, to if we have been operators before, which both of us had, um, there is that layer of maybe wartime advice that could be super useful, um, even if it doesn't totally help solve any of the critical startup problems. I think that the empathy, uh, just being kind of being able to be side by side or just behind the entrepreneur, I think that speaks volume. And I think that it is scratching it very differently. But at this stage of my life, I actually pretty, pretty much, I must say, I enjoy VC journey so much. I would say that after realizing that I enjoyed it so much, how come I didn't start earlier? <laughs> Uh, well, one of the biggest uh, reason that I'm so uh, excited about VC is really just being able to work with so many talented founders, um, learning from so many ideas that maybe we once as entrepreneurs may not have thought of before. I think many of these uh, entrepreneurs that we have invested in or have not been able to uh, invest in, they have taught me a lot. Uh, as much as we can give them, I think they're also giving us a lot. Um, so I must say working with founders inspire me. I have like a few models of different entrepreneurs in my mind that, hey, if I kind of restart again, uh, you know, what, what would happen if I put on this guy's hat or this girl's hat, right? Um, so, so I'm accumulating, I'm, I'm like an AI who's also kind of learning different styles of uh, entrepreneurs. And, and I hope that uh, entrepreneurs uh, appreciated our perspective as much as actually we are um, appreciating theirs. Yeah. And that's an interesting dynamic, right? Because we've been both sides of the table, right? Both founders looking for venture capital and now venture capital looking at founders. Uh, and you just mentioned something interesting is whether they will listen to our advice versus us giving advice to them, the knowledge they may not be listening slash we may be wrong slash 
you know, this conversation is highly <laughs> irrelevant, right? So what is it like to have those conversations where you have this dual hat, right? You know, as a former founder and as a VC talking to another founder. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like we're having this conversation maybe because we are both very open-minded and and willing to kind of be vulnerable to before, right? Before I became a VC, I was fundraising, right? So I was like you on the other end. And I wanted to be part of a, a good VC, good brand VC, uh, founder-friendly VC, because I just couldn't stand how so many VCs back then, especially when there was so little, uh, that their answer or their advice is pretty definitive. It's as if they have all the answers in the world. Um, I think the approach that I try to take um, in my own style is to share as much as possible, but no one person's experience is the same. And if I feel like the specific domain or you know industry or the skill set is directly very relevant to what I know and have experienced, I am super duper generous, right, in, in sharing. Uh, but if for certain areas, we, I think that, hey, someone else could be in a better position uh, to give that advice, I'll be glad to really make that intro, admit that, hey, I don't fully know exactly what can help solve that exact problem that you guys have. Um, but hey, my role here is to facilitate too, right? So I don't want to be the be-all and all. Um, we're in this journey together. We want to we wanna try to figure out together. Yeah, and, and sometimes my advice would be the advice that you can follow, but sometimes you need to follow your gut and take in all these various advice and figure out what works best. In the end, I want to say that we don't run the business. Um, we need to let the folks who run the business, you know, figure it out and decide for themselves uh, and they then can learn what's the cause and consequence and they will learn fast, right? Founders are super resourceful and capable um, and we have a huge trust in, in founders. So there's an awkward dynamic, right? Which is what I realized is that when I was one of the founders, obviously I was thinking about it as a very like, honestly, adversarial dynamic, right? I'm pitching you, right? So my job is to convince you that, my idea is great, you know, you know, my traction is great, et cetera. And now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, whoa, like I'm like talking to like 200 founders, right? And I'm picking one of them yeah. to move forward, right? Um, and so I'm not necessarily trying, I can see that you're good, only I see that it's not so good. But really, it's really also a relative dynamic, right? Where you're like, are you better? Are you the best one or two out of the 200, right? And so it's a weird dynamic to have that role reversal or seeing it from the other point of view. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's, I must admit, in, in my you know, first two years as venture partner at Quest, I, I have had uh, you know, some difficulty or challenge um, just trying to say so many no's, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the truth, right? Uh, yeah. And you want to kind of be respectful because, you know, each party really spent time. We are not looking for just, hey, founder, you're really good. I really like you so much. You're, so many other things on the checklist have to be fulfilled, right? Uh, the business model, the timing, 
what's your traction like, uh, who's your team, what about your background? I, there's like that whole list. So, I mean, I would say that how I really overcame that over the years is to just really trying to be authentic and be very down to earth and basically respectful of the time we kind of spend together with each of the companies and just kind of ensuring that while we cannot fully articulate or even share exactly why we say no, no, because there are just so many other companies we're looking at, right? Um, but it's really to just be respectful of the time and give some maybe even short explanation, uh, right, of why this is not uh, kind of working out or it just doesn't fit into our funds TCs or, or something like that. So I think with just being logical, rational and respectful through the whole process, um, it made me, I guess, feel that if the the, the founders kind of understand, although, they, I, although I don't think that everyone would accept, but at least having an understanding that we have tried our best and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, um, as compared to also maybe some of the treatment I felt or some of my startup friends felt in the very early days and even sometimes uh, right today that founders feel that there's a lot of transactional relationship going on. Um, and, and I try and my fellow partners try that, you know, to help entrepreneurs feel that, hey, this is more like, like you said, nurturing a relationship rather than it's just a piece of transaction. Yeah. And if we don't come across that way, most of the time, I think we are fine. We don't find that it is a huge dilemma. I think I myself have finally managed to cross that. That's why I enjoy VC so much better right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so so probably less dilemma as when I first set out to from a founder to put on the head of a VC. Yeah, totally get it. And, you know, it's interesting, right? Do you still feel like, you know, there's all these jokes about, you know, founders make up about VCs, right? Like, oh, all the rejection emails are all the same. They sound very <laughs> generic, you know? Um, and, you know, kind of making fun <laughs> of that. Have you seen those uh, memes and things yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... In the valley, especially, I think. Um, yeah. I think Southeast Asia is either a plain ig like ignore, or um, I think analysts, especially the analyst level, they're quite nice to say something, right? To to even mm. spend time having mm. a nice wrap up call. So so yeah, I, I see these memes and I definitely laugh to you know internally like to myself. But I I feel like even Southeast Asia has matured a lot. Um, even the way we want to handle or have been trying to handle rejections uh, have been a lot better than when we all first started. So I, while there is that level of maybe general answer, because it really didn't fit us, you know, certain criteria, and it's very hard sometimes to articulate exactly what. Um, once in a while, you, you, you have a way to just say that, yeah, actually, it is because of this. And we try to be truthful, right? We tell the startups. Uh, but sometimes going into that also launches a whole series of, oh, yeah, but you don't know we have this and that. 
so there is that fine balance. But I, I do think that now we have a lot more kind of good role models uh, of what is good practice and what is not so great practice. And in terms of good practice, bad bad practice, and you also talk about the maturation, right, of the, you know, Southeast Asia venture capital scene, right, which is, you know, there was not much when you first were a founder, and now you're part of, you know, <laughs> the VC scene, right? Uh, and you're not only representing, of course, Singapore, but also, like you talked about, as a female VC as well. Uh, what do you wish uh, people uh, understood because they have the wrong misconception about you know, Singapore and Southeast Asia venture capital. What are some myths or misconceptions that you encounter? Yeah. Um, I think that generally right now, Southeast Asia is definitely on the rising trend. Uh, there's definitely way more awareness than we all first started out. Um, some of the myths that remain is that, oh, there's still not enough like serious exits, right? Um, I, I do think that all this emerging startup scenes they also naturally have their own maturity stage and we're now beginning to see the first waves like serious waves right of of specs and proper ipos um and also proper mnas uh that is pretty sizable i think that exit question would kind of address itself in the next few years as we reach that level of maturity uh, as a population of few hundred million, it is real. The, you know, the consumer demand is real. The B2B demand is real. Um, so there is, it's just a kind of a, a matter of time thing. So that myth is going to kind of disappear in itself. Um, and I'm speaking from a maybe LP investor of a VC fund perspective, right? It's like, okay, I would like to invest in your fund, but you know, what are some of the exits? Uh, in, in your portfolio. So, so I think that myth will, will go away in, in, in the next few years, as a matter of fact. Um, I think second thing is, is that we maybe in terms of like experience in the startup founders, do we have like the A team that can take uh, certain companies to huge regions, like number of regions very quickly, uh, can we also scale to the Western world? I, I think maybe the first question, uh, the way I'll, I'll look at it is that um, I think for the first time, uh, we have a huge critical mass of more than tens of companies, uh, if not hundreds, that are scaling regionally very fast and very well. And, and especially if they are coming out of Singapore, uh, it's pretty much somehow, I think in the last 10 years, um, the very early VC scene has been educating startups that, hey, we, we cannot just invest in a Singapore-based company, right? You've got to be at least in two to three other countries. If not, take, uh, take Indonesia, for example. Um, so for the first time, I think we have so many references of successful founders who are able to scale. So this multi-country, if not a big country approach, like Indonesia alone or Philippines alone or Vietnam alone, um, I, I think that is also maturing in that sense. There's way more knowledge out there. Um, there's also kind of way more networking. There's just founders sharing each, with each other uh, pretty generously. 
right? How they do it. And there's a lot of uh, founders network going on in every country uh, that fellow founders can learn from. So I was a, ver a very early founding member of uh, ACE Forum, where the early angels, the Shin Shaoning of Angel Central, they, they started this forum supported by ACE in the very early days um, to, to you know, bring a group of founders, eight to ten of us together to share all the war stories and daily struggles on a monthly basis. Um, and, and it kind of grew, the community grew bigger and bigger. Um, so, so there's a lot of give back um, and knowledge sharing. Yeah. So I think that that's also showing maturity. Um, can we address kind of like even Western markets, etc. I, I, I see many new upstarts, especially in the B2B SaaS segment. They're beginning to do that. Um, I think SaaS is still early days in Southeast Asia. Uh, but the timing-wise, is it looks like it's of the right timing, right? It, US first, Europe is doing really well. And then China is picking up domestically also. Um, and then now it's kind of the turn for Southeast Asia to also kind of prove that out. Uh, so we're seeing rise of more and more interesting SaaS companies that are selling globally. Uh, maybe not yet to the level of Estonia, <laughs> Finland, <laughs> Sweden, uh, but we're beginning to see also the rise of that. And I'm pretty bullish there too. Amazing. Yeah. So starting to turn to the last chapter here, um, could you tell us about a time that you have been brave? Wow, I probably remember many times of being brave. Um, it's, it's very personal. It's, it's really overcoming, I guess, fear of failures. Um, you know, I, so I started three companies myself, I think two with co-founders, but the co-founders are really far away. So it feels like I was a solo founder, pretty much. So the first two did not turn out that well. It was all around 2003. The second one was 2008. Um, and then the third one that enjoyed a bit more success coincided with the ecosystem's very early significant start around 2010, 2014. Um, so really, I think when I share with so many people how I kind of persevered through two lack of successes initially and why I just continue to to do the third company and it, it looks like I would do the next company too because I'm just like always itching to do something. Um, so then the question is that why did I continue? Why don't I just uh, go uh, get a job and, and you know, go enjoy maybe a higher flying <laughs> corporate career? Uh, truth is that in between, uh, while, while well, I guess struggling to make the startups work. I have always been kind of working, right? I have, most people don't know I was in the shipping containers uh, industry. I was a managing director at that time in a British firm, uh, traveling around the world, working with shipping lines, uh, selling containers and unloading cargo, etc. Also one of the rare women in container dep depots which is usually quite dirty. Um, and always looking at those jobs, um, potentially, I'll do my best there, always stayed on for a good 
at least three, four years and then saving up the money and see, hey, you know, what's the next startup I want to do? Um, and in my mind is I'm always wanting to come back to the startup world and also just refusing to give up. I, there were some times where, you know, the first company I was partially funded by my professor in university. And knowing that the first one didn't succeed, he came back again to fund my second startup. Wow. <laughs> and then I'm like, whoa. And then in the second startup, he, do he doesn't even know or care to know what business is that. He's like, okay, you're starting something, I'm gonna fund you. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I guess I'm, I'm just grateful that maybe people see that there's something behind the resilience uh, that she's going to try to make something work. And I, I've always taken very personally, if something doesn't work, uh, I'll try to make the next one work, right? So I could pay off everyone kind of thing when I started out. So I think I persevered through startups despite my initial lack of success. And that came at definitely a lot of nights and days of depression. Uh, at that time, we don't even talk about it. But now we, I think we are a little bit more open yeah, so, so I think I went through definitely long days and nights and weeks and years of just being very, feeling very alone, definitely depressed, but always out drinking with a bunch of buddies, <laughs> sharing, sharing just that chip on our shoulders and just soldering on. Um, I, I think that those are days of being really brave and just taking it in that failure is not a finality it's, it's really just part of the journey and uh, you are really as good as the last startup you do most people don't remember even your early days <laughs> <laughs> people only remember success uh, mostly um, so, so I think I fought through a lot of that um, kind of mental blocks and just fighting, persevering through and keeping that optimist uh, mindset and just being open uh, and, and don't get so jaded. I think that first time ignorance is still very important in doing startups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best way to encourage entrepreneurship is to increase first time ignorance. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think probably that's Man. why Jobs still say that, right? I mean, at that time, still staying hungry, staying foolish. I think there is the certain truth that I myself went through and totally agree with. I don't want to appear too smart, like a smart aleck, and stop being foolish. Because I think a level of naivety is still very important in doing startups. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so true, right? Which is that I think that naivety... I think if you were truly rational about the odds and the probabilities and how many people have tried it before and will try it and the sector, I think there's a lot of reasons to not do it, right? Um, and some optimism, you know, <laughs> and is that, you know, unawareness of those odds really help you roll the odds, right? And sometimes it works, right? You know, if you... If you never roll, you never find out. Yeah. yeah, so so I think maybe in summary, like what is that one thing that I have been brave about is knowing what you know. You still choose to 
you know, be kind of pure and innocent in your pursuit of things. In to just to be passionate, go against all naysayers and start again to restart. Amazing. Um so Yiping says uh wrapping things up here, I'd love to paraphrase the three big teams I got from you. Uh the first of course was thank you so much for sharing about uh what was it like to grow up from um you know lower middle class in Singapore and kind of like how you discovered entrepreneurship uh by luck and by Google uh and uh figuring out what you wanted to do, which was to be a founder, right? And um all of the various experiences. Uh, the second thing was, of course, thank you for sharing, I think, the actual reality of was alike uh, of being a serial founder, both the failures and the successes. And I think what's really interesting is not just you talking about the stories, but also I think your reflections on how you've matured as a warrior uh, from each battle, right? And also how you think about being a warrior today, which is different from how you were in the past. Um, and lastly, I think, uh, thank you so much for sharing quite a bit about um, what's it like to be a founder who's now a VC? Um, because, you know, I think you answered in two ways. One was where you directly answered it by saying, uh, what are the differences now as a VC and how is it like to work with founders today and see yourself in those shoes um, and the advice you give them? Uh, but also, I think in the way of this entire, you know, podcast, I think you've also been kind of like nicely explaining the duality, right, of being a founder before, uh, as a serial founder, as a serial female founder, uh, but also as a VC now looking back on it and uh, your reflections on it. So thank, thank you so you. much, Yiping. Thank you, thank you. It's been, a, it's been a great fun talking to you, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.